Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. Today's scripture is Mark 14, 1 to 2, 10 to 21, and 32 to 50. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them and they prepared for the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and when they had taken their, pre- their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one after the other, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve." one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written for him. But woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated, And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping. 
for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough! The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Look my betrayer at his hand. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him there was a crowd with swords and cloths from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kiss him. Then they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood near drew his sword and struck the slave, a slave of the high priest, cutting his ear. Then Jesus said to them, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me, as I thought I were a rebel? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. Thank you, Lucia. We are in the fifth week of a six-week summer sermon series called Faces of Our Faith. And we are spending time with different biblical figures drawing near to their stories in order to discover what their stories might illumine in our own. We've talked about Adam and Eve and the unnamed Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. We've talked about Anna, present at Jesus's dedication in the temple and about Mary Magdalene. And today we are talking about Judas. Judas, you might ask, why on earth would we want to talk about Judas? This is a little bit of an aside, but have any of you seen the Disney movie Encanto? Yeah, a few of you have. There's a wayward brother named Bruno, and whenever his name is mentioned in the movie, people say, we don't talk about Bruno. See, some of you even (laughs) know the hand motions. We don't talk about Bruno. Well, Judas is in somewhat of the same boat. Judas? That no-good scoundrel, we don't need to talk about Judas. But maybe we should. Perhaps we can learn something from his story. Because the truth is we grow in faith through positive examples, but we can also grow in faith through what might be thought of as negative examples too. So let's talk about Judas What do we know about him? When we dig into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that the Gospel writers all paint a slightly different picture of him. In the reading from Mark that Lucia just read, there isn't any indication that Judas's betrayal was financially motivated. In Mark, it was only after he offered to betray Jesus that he realized it might result in some financial gain. 
This scenario differs from the one in Matthew where Judas was motivated from the get-go by the hope of financial reward, inquiring in advance what he might receive for handing over his friend. Luke and John weave in this notion that Judas wasn't just a wayward disciple, but that he was in fact possessed by the devil. And it's only in Matthew's gospel that Judas showed remorse for his actions. We're told by Matthew that Judas died by suicide. That contradicts Luke, who reported in the book of Acts that Judas died in an accident in the field he had purchased with his reward money. So as is true with many other biblical figures, we get a mishmash of sometimes contradictory information about the person of Judas. But all in all, we can safely say that Judas wasn't a shining star in the lineup of spiritual forefathers. No, he goes down in history as one entirely despised. His name has even become a noun. One might be called a Judas if perceived to be deceitful or betraying a friend. Throughout the gospel accounts, he's identified not just as Judas by his name, but as Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, just so there's no confusion about this character with whom we're dealing. Judas is a necessary actor in the telling of this Jesus story, but it's almost as if he's there to play the villain, serving a purpose, but on the periphery of, if not outside, the boundaries of the essential story of God's grace. And it's pretty easy to get on board with despising Judas. No, no, Judas. After all, he betrayed Judas with a kiss. It's heartbreaking and painful and horrible when you think about it. Judas was one of the 12. He traveled with Jesus for three years. He bore witness to the healing of broken bodies, to the restoration of alienated souls. He must have sensed the power of what was happening in and through Jesus. He trusted and he was trustworthy, at least at times, perhaps for the majority of their time together. He sat at table. He broke bread with Jesus over and over again, presumably sharing laughter and tears and all of the other stuff of life. And still, he chose, for reasons really unbeknownst to us, to turn on Jesus, to betray their mission, their shared story, their friendship. And we can ponder the possible reasons why. Was it greed? Was it envy? Did Judas see the writing on the wall and know things that were were coming apart at the seams? Was he angry that their plans weren't coming to fruition? Was he afraid? 
I don't know. We don't know. What we do know is that this one who was part of the inner circle, who was supposed to be trustworthy, violated that trust with a kiss. And while that might make him the villain of the story, someone we want to discredit or dismiss, I think we can't help but recognize that there are ways, deep and significant ways, that his story, a human story, intersects with our own. Because I am certain we have all felt betrayed by systems, by governments, by churches, by other communities, but also by friends and family members and others who have walked alongside us, others who were supposed to be trustworthy. And the difficult truth on the flip side of this is that I am certain we have all betrayed another as well. When Jesus said at that last supper that one of the disciples would betray him, they all said, surely not I, because they didn't believe it was possible or because they did. The difficult truth is that sometimes it is us. In this challenging, complicated life, sometimes intentionally or unintentionally, it is us. And while it's tempting to turn from or to hide the betrayals of our lives, those committed or those endured, it is honest, necessary, spiritual work to bring them out into the light in some way, shape, or form. Because it is only through such broken places in our stories, in our lives, that we find true healing, true redemption, true transformation. I'm reading a book that Tim lent me called Art and Faith, written by an artist theologian, Makoto Fujimura. Forgive me for my pronunciation. In talking about the disciples, he says, those who betrayed, those who ran away, those who could not be courageous when courage was needed, something happened to their wretched hearts after the resurrection. They had experienced the light breaking through that Easter morning. The rock was moved and the seal was broken, but they also began their journey of the new through the deepest realm of their failures. And so it is with us, he says, through the fissures of our broken journeys with pieces of our own hearts shattered on the ground, we journey by God's grace into the new creation. God sees beyond our shattered remains. He picks them up and sings a song over us. We grow in faith not only through the stellar examples of faithful living, but we can grow in faith through the messes and the failures 
that we experience in our own lives and that we bear witness to in the lives of others. Les and I revisited the movie The Mission this week. Are you familiar with it? Some of you have seen it. Um, after talking about stories of individuals who betrayed God or themselves or another, and then in and through that brokenness served as an example of faith. For those who haven't seen it, The Mission is a film about a Jesuit missionary in South America. It's loosely based on a true story, and in the movie, Father Gabriel establishes a mission among the indigenous Guarani people. Rodrigo is a character. He's a mercenary and a slaver who captures members of the Guarani community, selling them into slavery. Rodrigo also kills his half-brother in a duel over a mutual love interest. Father Gabriel encounters Rodrigo after he has fallen into the depths of despair and encourages him to seek penance in the form of coming with him and several others to serve with and among the Guarani people. The trek involved a harrowing climb up the giant, giant waterfalls above which the tribe lived. Carrying a large and heavy bundle containing his armor and sword, his instruments of death, Rodrigo ascended the falls, dragging, dragging, dragging his heavy burden behind him. At one point, after watching Rodrigo struggle, a priest goes to Father Gabriel to say, it's enough that Rodrigo has done enough, to which Father Gabriel replies, but he does not believe he's done enough. And until he believes it, I won't either. So Rodrigo continues, sorry, it was such an emotional movie. <laughs> Rodrigo continues to climb with this terrible burden. And finally, they reach the Guarani community. The tribe welcomes the priest, now known to them, but are frightened, understandably, by the presence of Rodrigo, who they know, they recognize as a slaver, one who has captured and taken some of their own. One of the members of the tribe approaches Rodrigo with a large knife threatening to cut his throat. But after an exchange between the tribal leader and Father Gabriel, the knife is used instead to cut the bundle from Rodrigo's back. It's tossed over the cliff and is washed away in the river. And then Rodrigo weeps rivers of tears that turn to laughter as the community he harmed gathers round to pat and welcome and embrace him. I'm reminded of Fujimora's words again. Through the fissures of our broken journeys, with pieces of our own hearts Shattered on the ground, we journey by God's grace into the new creation. God sees beyond our shattered remains. He picks them up and sings a song over us. 
Judas in and through his betrayal, in his cruelty, in his brokenness, in his waywardness, is not just an ancillary part of the divine story, but he is the one who in many ways points us to the very heart of the story of divine grace. Because even as he betrayed Jesus, he was loved by him. As Dart pointed out in a children's time a few months back, Judas ate too. At that last supper, Judas wasn't banished from the table. He ate too. Jesus knew that one of his beloved 12 would betray him, and yet he set the table and he fed them all. And Judas's story reminds us that it is not just the knowledge of God's grace that saves us. It's the acceptance of God's grace that is essential too. Unlike the character Rodrigo, we don't see clear evidence that Judas found his way to know or understand or accept that grace. And we learn something important by and through that example too. Hindu mystic Ramakrishna said, the winds of grace are always blowing, but you have to raise the sail. I think of it as needing a container. We need to take some action to have some mechanism through which we can receive God's grace. So we as Christian community gather here, here, around Christ's table, knowing that it is here with the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup that we receive the fullness of God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's grace. It is here that the heavy burdens we carry, the ones we haven't been able to put down ourselves, are cut from our backs. It is here where God sings a song of new life over us, around us, through us, between us, and in us, that we might be transformed over and over again for faithful living as agents of God's love and grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Loving and merciful God, our hearts and minds and spirits gather into the refuge of your care as we join in this time of prayer. We come, each one of us, with our own prayers, our own unique hopes, our own individual sorrows, but we come also knowing that we pray as a community connected one to another, lifting up not only our prayers, but the prayers that abide in the hearts of all those around us. We lift up each prayer, those known to us and those unknown, seeking your healing, your hope, your grace, and your guidance for people in need, for places in turmoil, for your whole creation as it seeks wholeness, justice, peace, and life abundant. 
Loving God, we give thanks for all those who have made a difference and who continue to make a difference in who we are and who we are becoming as people of faith. We know that we learn and grow through both the shining examples and the painful failures that we experience in our own lives and in the lives of others. We confess, O God, that it's often easier to see and acknowledge another's failures and missteps than it is to see and acknowledge our own. We are tempted to sweep our own intentional and unintentional betrayals under the rug to hide them from others, from ourselves, even from you. They embarrass us. They shame us. They often become heavy burdens. And yet your spirit calls us to bring all of it, all of us, to you, that you might, with incomprehensible love and grace, offer us forgiveness and make us new, that you might pick up that which is shattered by our own hand or the hand of another, sing a song over us, and make us new. Meet us this day in word and prayer, in song and fellowship. Stir in our hearts and spirits your hope and peace and strength. In the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, meet us in life-giving ways at this, your table, and help us to receive, to know, to wholeheartedly accept the unfathomable gift that you so generously give. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.